Hello, welcome to the World Cafe Podcast. This podcast has been designed with curated content that centers on the power of words. Can we really do anything without speaking? Can we really do anything without the agency of words? Yes, that is what this podcast is all about. And I am your host, Amakri Subway, your neighborhood word trader. I believe in the power of words, for it is the unit of creation. I trade in words to profit my world. Hello, people. Amazing. How are you doing? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good everything. Wherever you are on the planet at this point in time, hearing my voice, how are you doing? How's your day been? Yes, we are back to that place where the World Cafe Life Show, where we come in to lean on one another's experience and, you know, build and receive energy to, I mean, walk into that future. Mm, Yes, you're wondering, what are we going to be talking about today? I have somebody, mm, I'm so glad. Don't worry, I will say more about that person very soon. I call her a medical hero. You'll get to know why I call her that very soon. Her name is Adeze Odili Ore. Yes, you heard that name. And uh, what, what are we going to be talking about today? Don't worry, when I bring her in, you would know why I call her the medical hero. Where is she? You're wondering. Mm, in a bit, she'll be with us now. Blah, yeah, there she is. Hi, Ada. Good evening. <laughs> good evening, How Amakri. I'm good. I'm good. And I'm pretty excited and honored that you called me to join you on World Cafe today. No, the excitement is just mine. As in, you know, when, when, when I... When I checked you up on LinkedIn. Where did I see that? I saw something about you and I read it. I was like, excuse me, is, is that the same Adesi I know? So I read about, I just went through it quickly. I said, wow, it's been like how many years? And I just said, no, I need to bring her on the show to come and share with my audience and the world this wonderful thing she's been doing. Welcome. Thank you for the, for, 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 you know, answering this call. So, who is Adeze Ore? <laughs> um, first of all, you know a bit about me. So, let me just, in, in a nutshell, um, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, and I professionally am a consultant family physician and currently country head of planning, research, and statistics with Nigeria's National Blood Service Commission. I also double as a senior health policy advisor at the Federal Ministry of Health and um, a member of the governing council of um, Nigeria's first private medical university, the Pamo University of Medical Sciences. So I've worked across public and private um, health sectors for the past 18 years. And my work currently involves working with policymakers at both the ministerial and the sub-ministerial levels to develop and implement policies that reduce maternal and child deaths and reduce the spread of infectious diseases like HIV, hepatitis, and improve the distribution of safely screened blood to hard to reach communities and especially those in our setting in Nigeria that are in remote and conflict affected places. 
Between um, 2009 and 2014, I was coordinating um, a U.S. government and federal government of Nigeria project for blood services. And that was kind of my entry point into blood services mm. at the policy level, you know, not no longer as a hospital doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, I was covering Abuja, Niger, and Nasharawa states for okay. that project. And it involved working with the Federal Ministry of Health, the USCDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, USAID, the US Agency for International Development. And basically what we're trying to do, and of course, it was funded by the United States um, President's Fund for AIDS relief, PEPFA. Okay. So what we're trying to do was institute a system, a, a formal blood transfusion system for the country. Right. And my role was critical to national policy formulation, uh, managing information, supervising the operations, quality assurance, and basically emergency preparedness and response. And so when... This is, um, this... Go on, go on. I, 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 I tend to talk on and on but um why this why i wanted to highlight this was we we know that about a decade ago we started having like terror in nigeria you yeah. know with boko haram and all that uh-huh. and when the united nations office was um affected by a bomb blast in 2011 yeah. we yeah. were critical to the emergency response and provided hundreds of units of blood that was used to save the lives of those who survived that bomb blast. So that's one of the memorable impacts of the work that we've been doing over the years. In a way you were talking, I I was trying to uh, marry the Adese of, you understand what I mean by that? Of 1990. Of 1990. In my blue pinafore, you know, back then in school, you were not uh, a science inclined person. If I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I know you were into the lit, I mean, literature, English, and all literature. that. And all of this, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I know you made one of the best, I know, remember then in school, you know, in our, yeah. in our set, you made one of the best when it came to literature. and like she's in medicine now how how did you how did you discover this this part of you tell me how did you so the thing is i've i always i always loved biology and and throughout secondary school i loved biology i loved literature i loved english and so basically i was trying to be strategic i was torn between Mm. um a career in law and a career in medicine and as you know, both my parents are in law and medicine. So exactly. it was basically, and they had zero inputs into what I wanted to do. It was, you tell us what you want to do at the end of the day. <laughs> so I wanted to be smart. So I did my courses that would have allowed me to study law and the courses that would have allowed me to study medicine. So I made sure I did my chemistry and physics, even mm. even though, you know, I was, uh, yeah. those were my favorite courses, but I, <laughs> I made sure that I did good in them so that if I came to that decision of going into the sciences, then I would be comfortable. But um, basically, my driving force has been helping people. So whether it was in law or whether it was in medicine, that Mm -hmm. was going to be the push. Mm -hmm. How to get to improve the lives of people. And so by the time um, 
we were writing uh, SSC, I had decided that I would go for medicine because at that point, you now have to take jam, right? So there's no, there's no yeah. struggling the decision-making at that point. So I, I opted, I opted for medicine by SS3. And so okay. that's, that is how I got into um, studying medicine at the College of Medicine in UNN, University of Nigeria in Nsuka. And while, while I was there, as a medical student, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be this hotshot heart cardiologist. I'm going to be in heart medicine. And that's yeah. where I saw myself. But by the time I did one full year of clinical rotations, I could see the problems with yeah. healthcare access in terms of the divide between okay. rich and poor, urban and rural, and the health mm-hmm. system gaps, financing, organization, and so I knew that even though I had this keen interest in a sub, a clinical subspecialty, I I felt that um, yeah. I would have more to contribute by going into health systems policy for building and strengthening um, Nigeria's health system for equitable healthcare delivery. And so by the time I was graduating, I knew that that's where I was going to go, health systems management. And I had a couple of people say, oh, you're wasting your brain. And and that's why I bring it up, because I don't think there's any area of professional life that's a waste of anyone's brain. And regardless of what it may seem like to to you, the onlooker, whatever pushes someone into a particular field is most likely a calling. And there's a reason okay. why they've been called into that area. So whether you think only those who have IQs of a certain number should go into certain uh-huh. areas, I mean, uh-huh. the, 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 the maker knows why he calls people into certain areas. And you see people with incredible IQs and they're in music, they're in art. Uh-huh. There's uh-huh. a reason why they're there. And so I don't think there's any sector that is a waste of anyone's um, capacity. And so that's how I got into um, public health and, okay. and health systems. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, somebody listening to you now will say, okay, Auntie Ada, you, you've been in this area for this long. You've built capacity, you've built competence and all that. How did it all begin for you? What were your challenges? How did you find your rhythm? Because the way you're speaking now is like you were born speaking this way. You were born formulating policies this way but obviously you had your challenges here and there so how did it all start for you um i'll say for me i was i would describe it as a case of um passion and preparedness meeting opportunity and Mm. so when so i i completed my house job which i did at the um, Braithwaite Memorial Specialist Hospital in Port Harcourt now the state teaching um, state university teaching hospital and right after that, I I um, did my youth service, and then I went for a master's in international health management. Hmm. So at that point, you see, the, my my choice at that point tells you I knew I was going into health systems management, right? So True. I had a mindset. I, I my master's was was at Imperial College in the UK. So there was that option of remaining in the UK. By the time we were finishing my my class, we had recruiters who were coming to Imperial College to recruit. 
we had um they would have receptions for us they you know mm. pitching their companies pitching exactly. um jobs that they wanted us to actively apply and interview for and i would tell friends that i would just go there drink their orange juice or drink their champagne <laughs> and chat with them and leave i never applied I for any positions there because i knew that i wanted to come back to nigeria and work in the public service and so i already had that mindset but then i came back immediately submitted my applications um mm. at, at the um, public service commission where you, you know if you want to go into the um, federal public service that's that's the route you go yeah and there were no um, vacancies available and so months would pass i was following up literally weekly and there was mm. nothing and then after a couple of months i was like you know i can't just be sitting around i started doing some you know like you said i i have some creative aspects exactly. to me so yeah. i was doing some interior design and all that basically mm-hmm. to keep busy and then i volunteered mm-hmm. my services with the um, federal ministry of health and i was volunteering with them for 7 months at least mm. wow and so going out on um healthcare delivery programs um initiatives workshops mm. seminars i was fully engaged and even the interior hustle kind of downscaled because i was so committed to this volunteering that i was this volunteering doing. yeah okay but what what it did for me was that it it helped me build networks in the sphere that i wanted to work awesome. so awesome. i i started i i started getting um engaged with people who were key players in the sector so i knew uh-huh. who was doing yeah. what who which which unit or department was responsible for for what and it also positioned me to be in a place where when the US government and the federal government were oh. setting up this project i was in prime position to hear about it and go wow. for the interview and wow. i heard about it purely by chance just being in an office and hearing that those interviews were going on and i hightailed it to where to the location of the interviews wow so you know you, so, sometimes <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it it sounds crazy but 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 that's basically what happened is like oh oh you didn't know about this interviews fine but are you ready to go and um work as a i think they were looking for a, a data officer at the time okay um, yeah. somebody to manage the, um the information systems yeah and that was the vacancy available and i said data is not my favorite area and i keep saying this even to people that i meant i'm like this if if this is something that i'm going to do daily well i mean i would rather be working in disease control and you know <laughs> but that's what's available i'm going to go and interview and i literally i think it took me about 30 minutes to get to the venue i was sweating okay. my shirt was soaked and they asked me to wait and then i went in for the interview and by the time i finished they said they would get back to me yeah and i got a call later that evening from someone who in the course of my volunteering i had also gone on blood drives and advocacy okay. with them so 
you you see you see what the volunteering had done for me these are people who i would exactly and 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 she asked me and said um would you be willing to coordinate a new a relatively new project yeah like a pilot and i was like excuse me i came for technical data officer you know (laughs) i'm not sure and she said because that um opening had literally just come up so they hadn't okay they weren't even interviewing for it but by the time i did the interview they said this person sounds like she would be a good fit for this role we can always Mm. find somebody else to do Mm. data Mm. and that's how i got i got that um, project coordinator role you know listening to you now one one thing i'm should i take away from what you just said now is volunteering mindset change you didn't just sit down there and say okay it will fall on my laps or something you went for it not minding the level or uh the qualification or whatever you just like that's where my heart is no matter how low it is i know i can build something from uh that position and you just went out there and in course of your volunteering is like uh, you've put yourself out there and one or two people have seen your interest and your passion, your drive for this. It's like, okay, ah, she, she has this passion for something like this and boom, another opportunity came up which exactly. invariably was higher than the data uh, management, uh, whatever. I mean, a, a good number of us young people out there, we, we, we get, I mean, they're taken aback like, this is not what I want if I don't get what I want yeah. that will happen or that will not happen but excuse me why not go for that little thing build capacity over time you said you were volunteering for seven months technically I would say that was like a year or so you were volunteering yeah. so imagine putting that on your CV I was I've been doing a volunteering job for seven months and you have uh, a testimonial to back that up beautiful now you, you, you've been here for mm, 17 years plus you know what do you think we need to know about this Lord Advocacy because you know a good number of us in this country in Nigeria, in Africa but West Africa but Nigeria to be precise, when you talk about blood we always have this phobia we don't trust it, are you sure? so what do we need to know about it? So the first thing that we need to know about blood services and blood safety is that Nigeria happens to be one of the countries that has a high burden for conditions that require blood, safe, the availability of safe blood. Whoa. That's one. Um, so w- when I talk about conditions, we have one of the world's highest um, death rates for women in pregnancy and childbirth. Nigeria alone contributes almost a quarter of the deaths recorded around the world in pregnancy and childbirth. Are you and serious? A lot of, and a lot of that is from bleeding and lack of ready access of safe blood. Wow. Then we have literally the world's highest burden for malaria. And why um, a lot of children die from malaria is the fact that when they have severe malaria they are very anemic they have very low blood levels and they Mm -hmm. require safe blood to get them out of that critical state then 
Again, Nigeria is one of the highest burden countries for sickle cell disease. And a major component of the management and treatment of sickle cell disease is availability of blood for when they're in, um, the, the survivors are in crisis and oh. require blood to get them out of that severe anemic state. Then we have a very high burden of road traffic accidents. A lot of the times, I mean, if you speak to even the federal road safety, they'll say to you, one of the pressing things in their job description is getting accident victims to places where they can receive safe blood in a timely manner. So just from these few examples, of course, you know, we can go further, talk about cancer, talk about um, routine surgical procedures that require safe blood. Then compare it with our population. We have a population of over 200 million people. 50% or more, uh, in fact, more than 50%, more than 60% of our population are actually within the age bracket of um, blood donation, as in people who should be eligible to donate blood. So you see that there's yeah. a huge gap and there's a disconnect between the need for blood and the awareness of our population about what we can do in terms of donating blood regularly to save the lives of people who need them. So um, this this leaves a lot of work for us to do in terms of advocacy, working with communities um, to educate and sensitize about the role that individual members wow. of the population can play in building our voluntary blood donor base in the country. That's that's huge. I mean, you you have you have a huge a huge huge tax in your hands. I mean, <laughs> I don't envy you for that. You, know, <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> listening to you now and hearing the statistics being uh, rolled out out there, a lot of a good number of us don't know this. We we, we really don't know this, but I mean, we have a better. I, I mean, by this now we have a better understanding that whoa, there's a lot to be done. Something happened recently. Uh, I read, you know, you made a, you made a statement, and I was so 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 proud and happy about that. During the Omicron sting, when they placed some sanctions about ban, you know, Nigeria and South Africa, you know, you came out strong to speak. Like you can't just single out Nigeria or Africa and place a ban, you know, on us all in the name of the Omicron variant of the. Uh, COVID-19 vi uh, virus, I beg your pardon. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that is Adas speaking. What really prompted you to like go that route, make that statement? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Frustration. It was, it was, it was my, my response and the response of some other colleagues was born out of frustration. The science 
shows that we the world is in a place where we have person-to-person transmission. We live in a globally connected world. There is no way a variant of the virus will exist in one place and we can be 100% certain that it's not in another place. So singling out certain countries because of the identification of a particular variant is wrong and is not backed by the science in any way. It, it, it just reflected how in times of crisis and in times of uncertainty, humans can just fall back on age-old biases, unfortunately. And that's what we saw and we felt the need to speak out against it because it didn't have any, any value or any promise as a, as a way of curbing the spread of the Omicron variant. And if, if you followed, a, a couple of weeks later, some of those policies were, were reversed because there was no um, benefit to having those bans on certain countries. Our response was simply born out of frustration. It was just, we were speaking out of frustration because we, we knew that those actions and those policies were not backed by the science. The world is in a place where there's person-to-person transmission of COVID, regardless of the variant. The response, you know, hitting back on the policy to ban certain um, African countries, I mean, Nigeria, South Africa, several other, in fact, not just African countries, let me put it, low and middle-income countries, because of the Omicron variant, was wrong. It wasn't backed by science. There was no scientific basis to that policy. We were were in the world at the moment, people Mm -hmm. are were transmitting the COVID um, virus from person to person, regardless of the variant. So we are in a globally connected world. What that means is that yeah. any variant anywhere in the world just has several hours yeah. to be in another place. So it's not about banning. It's about emphasizing what those preventive measures are to keep populations safe. Yeah. And if you, if you, like, you know, a couple of weeks after that policy, they had to re- re- reverse those policies because people spoke out they were wrong i know some people said oh always calling out the race card always calling out the victim card but Mm. we should be able to speak out against what is wrong and what is not Mm. backed by science that's why you have scientists that's why you 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 have that role that people who have studied science and epidemiology have a role to play and a contribution during a Mm -hmm. time like now when we're in Mm -hmm. a pandemic and so it was unfortunate. I must tell you, when I... When I, I no, it's go on, it's go unfortunate on, sorry, that when you have a crisis situation like this, people tend to fall back on age-old biases. And that is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. People were just falling back on, oh my goodness, it's their disease. It, it, you, you can't label um, COVID-19 as anyone's disease. It, it, it's wrong, it's, it's issue, And even now, it, you shouldn't even do that. Because... The COVID-19, it's everywhere and people are spreading Mm -hmm. it and the world is globally connected. So we should look for ways to safeguard our populations instead of alienating ourselves. You know, when I I read your report on LinkedIn, I was, I was, I think I I called my wife's attention, like, you know, because she also attended the same school with us, but a little, yeah, I said, come come, come and see what 
you've seen your saying and we all laughed about it when i mean laughed about it as in we're glad you know because i read it i was like yeah wonderful you know the points you made you know <laughs> the, the points you made i mean awesome awesome thank you thank you so what's what what's next for you now because in this field it's like things are evolving every day what's your next action what are you up to any project what are you up to um well for now i'm literally consumed with increasing nigeria's voluntary blood donation base i'm i'm invested in communicating and working across sectors with different agencies both in the private and the public sector to sensitize and educate our people on the need for safe blood and the role that we as individuals families and communities can play to contribute to the safe blood base in the country in terms of the future since i don't have that um, unique gift of predicting the future i would just say that wherever there's um work to be done in contributing to nation building through health and development you can be sure to see me there especially if it will involve um working to close gaps in in equity and in access because i believe that every single um one of us deserves health and access to the social determinants of health meaning education um a safe clean environment all those determinants of health i believe that every single person should have access regardless of where they are born regardless of the language they speak regardless of what they do and um the religion that they practice and so that's all i'll say about where you'll see me in future <laughs> also wonderful guys we've been having a wonderful discussion with Adeze Odeli Ore not minding the network issues we've been having you know i call her a medical hero you know she she i mean she has enlightened us on so many i use the word so many yes carefully on so many uh should i say points with regards to blood donation and uh health policies within our country as a nation and yes the world at large it's been a wonderful wonderful time so before i let her go because we've been here for a while now not minding the challenge what do you have to tell i mean my audience one last word from you ada before we i mean shut it down for the day one last word from you um i will say i won't use one word so i'll just say we should be committed to um, being diligent consistent and delivering excellently no matter the sector we are we have to be intentional and by being diligent and consistent you will definitely um open yourself up for opportunities that will forge long life um long term alliances that could build up your profile and give you the opportunity to contribute positively to nation region building and in global impact but the key to this is being aware of ourselves knowing our limitations and working and applying ourselves to improving both our knowledge and our skills so that we can add value 
And as Wonderful. Kofi Annan said, I, I admire him a lot, um, knowledge is power. And mm-hmm. power is liberating. And education mm-hmm. is the premise of progress in every society and in every mm-hmm. family. So awesome. let's, let's, let's aim for that. Oh, thank you so, so much. Uh, guys, I wish I can continue this conversation with Ada, but you know, time is not our friend. And I know she's going to answer our call next time when we call her on the show. You know, to you know, talk more about what she's doing and the progress and all of that. I just want to say a very big thank you to Ada. Thank you for uh, being there. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody. We will be back. And you know the way we say it on the show. Till we come your way again. My name is Amakri. Amakri is Soboe. I believe in the power of words. Why? It is the unit of creation. Bye for now. Thank you. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Before we sign off, I just want to encourage you. Yeah, it's been a wonderful time. And also, I'd like to hear from you, your feedback. You know, you've been listening to the World Cafe podcast. I would love to hear from you, the feedback. If you have any questions, yeah, you go ahead and ask those questions you can reach me at my email address amakri garibaldi at gmail.com amakri is a-m-a-c-h-r-o-e-g-a-r-i-b-a-l-d-i at gmail.com yeah and uh, we'll get back you know how we do it on the show thank you Part of time it has been with you on the World Cafe podcast today. Thank you for being there. You can catch me up on my social media handles, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all at Amakri Isoboye. Also, you can get copies of my books, A Cocktail of Words, The Color of Words, and my HRO notebook on Amazon and on Robin Heights online bookstores. You can also subscribe to my YouTube page, at the same address. Yes, till we see you again. Bye for now.